Have you noticed everybody is talking about CBD oil? With that in mind, I partnered up with Joy Organics. With Joy Organics, you get quality THC-free products that is broad spectrum and made with hemp grown in the United States. It's third-party tested to make sure high standards are maintained. If you go to the link in the show notes to go to Joy Organics, you can order CBD soft gels, tinctures, salve, gummies, and so much more. They offer free shipping on orders over $50. If the order is under $50, shipping is only a flat rate of $5. And they offer you a 100% money-back guarantee if you do not care for the product. So again, go to the show notes where you will find a coupon for 15% off your order. Remember, every order supports the show to keep this show going while getting a fantastic product for you. Rain me so river, river me so valley, valley me so rain, live on in the valley. Welcome to the Ankylosing Spondylitis Podcast. My name is Jason Sacco and I'm your host. As a 35 plus year spondy, I'm looking to use this show to bring the spondy community closer. I'll give my lifelong battle with AS to you. That includes triumphs, tragedies, and lessons. So sit back, enjoy, and know you are not alone. Welcome to this episode of the Ankylosing Spondylitis Podcast. Well, as many of you know, I started this show to just kind of be cathartic for myself and get some of my feelings about ankylosing spondylitis and how it affected me off of my chest, so to speak. But as I did it and the show gained popularity and more and more listeners came about, I started noticing that there's one area I can't address, and that's what's it like to be a woman with ankylosing spondylitis. This is where I just ran into a fantastic young lady named Jess Hoyson, and I have her on the line, and we're going to talk about being a woman with ankylosing spondylitis and, importantly, being a young mother with ankylosing spondylitis. Jess, how are you doing today? I'm doing really good. Thank you, Jason, so much for having me on the podcast. Yesterday was my Cassentix day, so I'm definitely feeling better today than, than I have been the past few days. Great. So we talked about that. I'm on Cosentix as well, and You had to take a little bit of a break for some issues, and so you took about a month off from Cosentix, and now are back building the loading dose up. So I hope uh, you get some some good relief from it like you were experiencing before you you took that little break. Yeah, I'm really hoping that uh, the higher dose and the, the reloading of the doses is really going to put me back to where I was because I was really starting to enjoy uh, life again. It was really great. How old are you? I am 30 years old. I was 30 in January. And, and when were you diagnosed? So I was diagnosed officially uh, via uh, MRI last October. I had really been struggling for a couple of years with this really debilitating soreness all over. But I can go back so far as being, you know, 11, 12 years old and having really bad back pain. At the time when I had seen my doctor, I was diagnosed with a really minor case of scoliosis. Um, I was also a figure skater, which is a really high impact and really, um, you know, physical sport. So I, you know, my parents just assumed that, you know, the the mix of those two is what was causing me pain and uh, ended up quitting figure skating around 18. And, you know, my back bothered me, but it was so normal to be in pain. And it wasn't ever debilitating at that point that I just lived with it. It wasn't until three years ago when I had my son, he was a newborn, and I really started to feel 
you know, this pain all over. I, I could hardly get down the stairs some mornings. Um, it was difficult to, to just get out of bed and carry him down the stairs. I usually would have to take, you know, a good 20 minutes or so to loosen myself up and to get down the stairs. And I had gone to my family doctor and I had asked them about it. And I was really just told that this is new mom pain. I had had a, a C-section. You know, you're getting less sleep. You're carrying a baby. This is all normal. So I, you know, there was nothing more I could do. I just figured that's what they're telling me. This is the truth. And I ended up nine months later, I became pregnant again with my second pregnancy. And, you know, throughout the pregnancy, I definitely had a lot of back and nerve pain, but that also was common in pregnancy. So nobody ever suspected anything more. My daughter was born and, you know, as soon as she was delivered, I I started getting that stiffness, really bad pain in my feet. My back was so achy. I, you know, was having a really hard time sitting down. And I I finally said, I need to do something about this. And it did take me some time. took me switching family doctors, getting someone who heard me and listened to me. And finally, we really pushed to see a rheumatologist, which I wasn't taken seriously there either. They told me there was no issue. They saw my fine x-ray they said that there was some abnormalities but they didn't feel it was rheumatology related so I needed to you know go somewhere else and that's when I really pushed for an MRI which did diagnose me with AS. So it really is the case for you and that we hear a lot about women taking longer to diagnose and you really are probably anywhere from 15 to 18 years that you were dealing with the onset of ankylosing spondylitis before somebody would even consider looking at you. Yeah, 100%. And then another several years on top of that for actual for actual diagnosis. Yeah, and I mean when you when you lay it out like that and you look at it it's really frustrating. I mean, I I could still potentially not have had a diagnosis if I didn't push a little bit harder and you know, even now I do have a diagnosis of AS, but every pain that I feel and any symptom that comes up, I am not so quick to just blame on AS. You really need to look at a picture and kind of dissect it a little bit more. Sure, some people may experience, you know, morning stiffness after pregnancy. Sure, it could be lifestyle changes. But, you know, we have to be so quick to not just blame everything on what we think things are. And and I like to be very critical of you know, of new symptoms that come up with me and really dig in to make sure, yes, I have a diagnosis, but that doesn't mean there's there could potentially not be another issue going on. And we see that's pretty common with people who have autoimmune diseases, that it's not generally just one or sometimes two, it's multiple um, diseases that people hold. And same with, you know, being a woman and pregnancy, yes, aches and pains come from pregnancy, but we shouldn't just discard it at that. I think we should really dig a little bit deeper. Yes. Now, is are you you said you had the MRI done? Yes. And so, did they diagnose you with a a non radiographic axial spondyloarthritis? It, was there less damage visible? There. See, I, 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 it's difficult to answer this for you because the rheumatologist I have right now, um, I have not had a good relationship thus far, especially with, you know, being so dismissed in the beginning. Um, I have very limited resources from her and information. What I do know is that on the x-ray, it did show that there was some abnormalities that that requested an MRI for further investigation. So something did show up on that x-ray. 
And then as for my, you know, my actual diagnosis, it was a quick five minute phone call that said, you have AS, I want to start you on Cosentix, here you go. I'm in a little bit more of a rural area here uh, in Petawawa. So um, any rheumatologist or specialist is about a two hour drive from us. So I was fortunate that she was able to give me that information over the phone. But I mean, I'm in the middle of looking for a new rheumatologist. Let's just say that. So do you head to, I think your closest city is what, Ottawa? Yes, that's right. So you have to either head to Ottawa or Toronto. Yes. With obviously both of those being much more major metropolitan areas. So a much wider range of availability of medical. Yeah, here pretty much we have a hospital if you fall and break a leg, uh, things like that. But, you know, any major complications, yeah, we're traveling two hours to Ottawa to get any kind of help. Now, you're you're actually a military spouse. Your husband is in the Canadian military, which means by default you're in the Canadian military as well. Yes. And so in America, we have the VA system, which is the health care system for veterans. Does Canada have the same type of system or do they mainline you in with just the, the national health care? So for my husband, he goes through, yeah, he goes through the, the military system here. But spouses and children, we're main, we just go through like the main health care system here. There's definitely treatment for, for my husband. They take care of all of that, all of his medications, things like that. But for spouses, yeah, I'm, I'm just in with a bunch of civilians. Okay, so you do have some flexibility where you can go. It's just yeah. It's just the distance you have to go. Yeah, that's right. I can certainly understand that. I'm in a I'm in a small area. I do have one rheumatologist within 50 miles of where I live. Otherwise, you've got to go another 50 miles past that to get any large volume of rheumatologists. So, when you were pregnant, the two pregnancies now, you said you noticed the aches and pains, but again, coming from this as a man, I, I watched my ex-wife with her pregnancies and my back hurt, my arms hurt, my whatever because of the, the baby, and that was understandable. But was I, I see some people talk about a, I went into a remission during pregnancy. Did, did you notice a lessening of overall pain and stiffness, or were you feeling actually worse? So the pain and stiffness, or sorry, the stiffness wasn't so bad during pregnancy. Of course, it was a little bit harder to move around because you're pregnant. But I definitely noticed things like, I'm not exactly sure what they call it, but pretty much like where your SI joints are, um, a major pain there. I Sometimes I couldn't put on my own pants. You know, I would get a, almost like a clicking noise from my, from my hips when I was walking. I had really severe rib pain. And, you know, everyone just tells you, oh, the baby's too big, you know, there's no room in there and, and things like that. But in reality, now with the knowledge I have looking back, I'm just seeing that I was definitely having AS flare-ups in places that I hadn't had them before because it, it, it was more than just an ache and pain. And, and that's something that, you know, for women's health, we're just told we definitely need to just suck it up. It's not that bad. All women experience pain around, you know, women issues. And in reality, I had something really sinister going on that, you know, I wasn't getting the help for. With my second pregnancy, it definitely, I was achy. I had some pains. I don't feel it was any worse or any better. 
but after both pregnancies is really when things started to affect my daily life. And I had spoken to a naturopath doctor um, right before we went into this pandemic and, you know, looking for some additional help with my issues. And what she explained to me is that in the late stages of pregnancy, I believe it's the progesterone goes up really high to, you know, put your immune system into overdrive to make sure the baby's not going to get sick, that you're not going to get sick. And then once you deliver and those hormones drop again, your immune system is a little bit more susceptible. Um, So generally, that's when, uh, even if you've never had any uh, symptoms or signs of an autoimmune disease, that's when they can kind of rear their head and make themselves a little bit more known. So the times that I, I was explaining to this naturopath, she was saying, this makes perfect sense. This is why. And I really felt validated with that knowing that it wasn't because I was carrying a newborn baby around that I was feeling this pain. It's because I had an autoimmune disease. On top of carrying a baby or babies around. Right, exactly. Now, as, as a man, I know at one point my fatigue was just, let me take a step back. When I had young kids, young kids are just, I always, they're a little life-sucking vampires. They're great, but they will take every bit of energy you have. So that's why you have them when you're young. Right. When you, when you put ankylosing spondylitis or, or the idea of ankylosing spondylitis on top of that, how have you dealt with the fatigue? Have you noticed a huge increase beyond what you think should be normal? Or is it really even hard to tell what a normal is? Definitely a huge increase, especially now that, you know, there's two of them and they're both walking, they're both talking, um, they're a lot more work than when they were babies. And I've definitely noticed the fatigue when when I'm not feeling the effects of the cosentics working is just, it's beyond what any normal person should feel. You know, my brain goes to mush like two, three o'clock in the afternoon. I'm just, I'm like a zombie. And it's, it's more than just being even fatigued. It's the the mental fatigue, if that makes sense to you, like I, I can't, I, I almost feel like dumb. I can't think, I can't process, you know, I just, I need to just go and lay down. And, you know, I, I've really found that taking that break when my husband gets home or right now, whenever I need to, cause he's, he's home with us and giving myself like an hour or two to sort of recoup, I can kind of get enough energy to get up and do what I need to do again. So definitely the fatigue is, I can feel it mentally and physically more than just, you know, oh, I had a really long day and I feel tired. It's, I I always tell my husband, it feels literally as if someone stuck a vacuum into my leg and sucked out every ounce of energy and life that I have. And, you know, that's on a day that I'm just puttering around the house, taking care of the kids. Sure, it's a lot of work, but, you know, it's not anything that... uh, a normal 30-year-old shouldn't be able to do. So that's kind of when I started noticing the difference that I have, I don't have a choice, I need to lie down, that that's when, you know, something's going on here. Well, have they looked at you for any other hormonal imbalances that might be off due to ankylosing spondylitis or the pregnancies? So that's definitely what I'm looking into right now um, with the naturopath. I'm not sure what it's like anywhere else, but I know here um, it's really difficult actually to get your hormones tested and to, to go about that type of thing unless you're, you know, 
seeking to become pregnant, which I've had a hysterectomy, so that's not my case. So that's where I sort of turned to the natural path to look into hormone imbalances and to see what's going on there because I am having some reactions at certain times of my cycle, um, not to be uh, too TMI, but I do have my ovaries left from the hysterectomy. So I still have normal cycles and hormones that are, are present. And I'm definitely having things like skin rashes and pretty big mood changes and things like that. So that's another road that I'm definitely investigating. Fibromyalgia is another one that, you know, I see a lot of very mixed things about. It's one of those things that it's a blanket statement if you don't have a diagnosis, but where I do have a diagnosis, it's difficult. So we we don't have access to our doctors right now. So when things calm down, that's what I was sort of in the midst of getting diagnosed with. I do also have endometriosis, which is, again, another controversial thing, whether that's an autoimmune disease. And that, that's definitely the cause of why I had my hysterectomy. And I know people just diagnosed with that alone do suffer a lot of fatigue and things like that as well. Interesting. Because you mentioned earlier you had some nerve issues, which can be a, a pointer towards fibro, I believe. Yeah, definitely. Definitely in the ribs, the feet, the hands, you know, there's definitely things that are going on that feel more than just the inflammation bothering me. So I've learned as I've been going that, you know, no one's on your side, really. You really have to fight for diagnoses. You really have to fight for your own health. I know in my case, I had just been so dismissed, you know, almost by every doctor. I have a really great family doctor right now who listens to me and is working with me, but that hasn't been the case up until now. So I'm hoping that we can get everything figured out. And and like I said before, I don't want to just say I have AS. Everything that is wrong with me is because of AS or the endometriosis. There's potential that there could be something else going on. And, you know, I think it's just in best practice that those things are ruled out before we can, you know, resort back to it just being AS. Oh yeah, you've got to be able to, you've got to be able to eliminate everything else, to then turn right. around and say that it, it's definitely or most likely part of AS. Exactly. Now, when you had both of your, um, when you had both of your deliveries, they were both done by C-section. Were you given epidurals? Yes. So I had already had a. Oh, what do you call it? Yeah, I had epidural for both of them, and they just you know, streamlined, however they do it when you go in to, to completely numb you for the C-sections. The reason I ask is I didn't know if that might have caused some of that nerve issues that you originally were discussing and the doctors dismissed that as just having to heal up from the epidural. And that's something that is, I haven't gotten direct answers from any doctors about it. I definitely feel like it was it, it was something that aggravated things a little bit anyways. With my son, I actually had to have the epidural done two times. I'm not quite sure what happened, but it fell out the first time, stopped working. So they needed to actually go back in and completely do another one. And then within 17 months, I was having another one put in for my second delivery. So with that, you know, tight um, three epidurals is, is a lot for you know, even a healthy back to take. So that's definitely something that I've considered as well. Yeah, it certainly won't help. No. <laughs> it, it's certainly not going to help. I, I had an epidural when I had for a nerve block when I had my first hip replacement done. I, I know what it's like to come out of that. And by the time I had my next hip replacement done, they did it again. By the time I had my 
third one done, there was too much bone overgrowth. It infused too much. Right. So they, they had to go a different route for the third and fourth one. I can certainly see where getting those done in the, the term and the way you did could possibly cause some nerve issues because they're compressing it to numb you and could lead to yeah. misdiagnosis of how you're feeling as well. Completely. And, and this is something that, you know, I, I, I love the idea that we have these medicines. I love that we, you know, are able to give people the choice to have, you know, a, a birth with less pain or a natural birth, however people want to do it. I, I wasn't asked any questions. I, I was definitely asked, you know, the, the, the big questions, you know, if I had any spine injuries or things like that, but I was never asked if I had any conditions or things like that. And, you know, either way, it technically doesn't matter because I, I had two emergency C-sections. But maybe if I was presented this and told the risks or told the potential issues that could happen, you know, maybe with my first, I would have pushed a little bit longer without having the epidural and, and trying to save my back. But you don't know. And, and, and kind of it comes back to not that we don't care about women's health, but it's just seen as this is just what you do. You have a baby, you're in pain or you're not in pain. You know, you take it or you leave it. It's the pregnancy. Of course, it causes the pain. There's no other reasoning outside of that. And with all this now, you're obviously relatively newly diagnosed, not new to yes. the, the pain and the symptoms. When you had your MRI done and you said they said there's some issues in there, did they give you a full rundown? Was it, we see issues with your SI joints or we see issues in your spine or did they just kind of leave you real, still kind of hanging? So actually, when I went in for my MRI, the rheumatologist I had only requested for my lower lumbar spine to be scanned. So that's all that I have the documents for. And when I went to meet with my family doctor, I actually requested to have the report, uh, a copy of the report. And this is something that I've continued to do so forth. And I think that, you know, chronic disease or not, uh, everybody should be doing this. It's, it's really important that we understand the things that are going on with our body and our health. So I actually do have the report and it was my SI joints. Um, there was a lot of big words in it and terminology that I had to Google and look up, but definitely there was inflammation on both SI joints. There might've been a few other things as well, but it, it seemed to be a little bit more minor. And actually right before we went into this quarantine, I did have, I did request from my rheumatologist to do a full MRI of my back so we could have an idea of what I was looking at. I, I am having a, a lot of centralized pain in my upper back and I just want to have that documented for, you know, the future. If things were to progress, we can kind of keep track a little bit better. Sure. I don't know if I'm, you know, overstepping my boundary with a doctor by, by requesting that. But to me, it just feels that's something that should should be in place from the get-go because this is a serious disease. I get the sense when I speak to my rheumatologist that, you know, it, I have a sprained ankle or a broken foot or something like that. It doesn't seem to be very serious to her, but I know how it affects my day-to-day -day life and that these are precautions that I, I need to have so I can feel at peace with this, especially as I age. It's unfortunate that when I was diagnosed, it was a long time ago, 1984. And at that point, my doctor had said to me, oh, yeah, women get it on occasion, but it's not very severe when they get it. And 
you know, but primarily that's a, a disease you'll see in men. Right. He didn't discount that women don't get it. He just said they don't see it very often. Fast forward 35, 40 years, we know that's not the case. And we know that if it's not on parity, which it most likely is just due to underdiagnosis, it doesn't show that way. Those numbers are changing dramatically and you're seeing more and more women become not only diagnosed, but becoming better advocates for themselves because they know the right questions to ask. Right. Absolutely. And, and I think with women, I mean, this is a whole societal thing. And again, you know, it's, you don't want to discount that everyone's doing this and everyone's treating women this way, but you take a look at it. And I, I mean, I just had a call a few days ago with my rheumatologist who is also a woman, but I know for me, this is something that, you know, with all this quarantine, I've had a lot of time to read self-help books and, kind of dig a little bit deeper into this kind of stuff and you really see that there's a people-pleasing quality that a lot of women have not all but a lot of women do have that they don't want to insult a doctor or they don't want to be difficult or they don't want to I know you know sometimes people can joke around and say oh you're just a a hypochondriac and things like that and those are things that you're kind of fearful of and and so you don't want to make too many big waves and you don't want to ask the really difficult questions even though it's our bodies and we're being so affected by it every day so you know a part of that is definitely me learning that I'm I apologize if I'm being a difficult patient I apologize if I'm asking you a lot of questions I apologize if I overstep my boundaries as a patient but I need to know these questions I need to get the information from my doctor which is you know, a reliable source. And I need to educate myself on this because I will have this body forever. And I need to make sure that everything that needs to be done and everything that needs to be treated is happening. And, you know, I I really think we're going to, with more women speaking out and more younger people even at that speaking out about things like arthritis and invisible illnesses, we're really going to see maybe those numbers even increase a little bit more or, or level out and kind of dispel that, you know, is more prominent in men. Right. And one thing in this Creaky Joints article that I'll have a link to in the show notes, it mentions that women can tend to have more um, gastrointestinal issues. Have, have you noticed that or have you noticed that you had it, but it went away with pregnancy or it got worse after pregnancy or, or anything of that nature? See, this is one thing that, you know, every doctor's appointment, I, I really struggled with this because no issues with, with digestion. I, I did have a really big issue with bloating and we, I just, you know, a decade had went by and we haven't been able to figure out what it was. And actually at the end of the day, you know, we, we kind of figured that it was the birth control that I was on, that the extra hormones were doing it. But other than that, there's there was no issues with my digestion whatsoever. And that, that tends to really be the first question that most doctors are asking. I had a colonoscopy in March, right before we went into lockdown, just to rule out any issues. And, you know, that was perfectly fine. And, you know, when, when you get into these situations where you don't have these like really big alarming things that you can kind of really document and you just have the pain in your body you're feeling, I find I not even harder. But for me, no, I haven't had any issues with digestion or, you know, bowels or anything like that. Which is really good. Yeah. <laughs> Key takeaway is, is all women really need to, not just women, but everybody, but 
in this case, since we're talking with you, really need to focus on being your your best advocate that you can be. I, I don't know if there's anything that you could ever overstep your boundaries related to your health to talk to your doctor about. I really think that everything should be available and on the table. 100%. And I know that from and my local hospital doesn't have it, but the hospital that I had my daughter at and that I've seen, I've been seen at most recently, they do have a database online where you have access to all of your records. Um, I think that's becoming a little bit more prominent with, with a lot of hospitals and doctors. And, you know, my family doctor here does not have that yet, but there's no reason that you can't say, can I please have a copy of that report? Can I please have a copy of that referral? I, you know, I want to know who I'm being referred to. I want to see exactly what, you know, was written in my report. It's, there's been a really big divide, I feel, with um, the medical system and, you know, patients, but their doctors, they know what they're doing. Don't ever Google anything. You know, they know best. And in reality, they know a lot. They're very educated. They dedicate their lives to helping people. And I'm very thankful for that. But at the same time, we know our bodies best. We experience things. I think you might have mentioned it on, on one of the podcasts that uh, I think it was the one about the, the app that came out that when you go into your doctor or your doctor calls you and speaks to you, if you are having a good day, it's very difficult to remember how crappy the last week and a half was and how you struggled because for me I, I I sort of disassociate when that's happening and I kind of am out of it and I know I'm in a lot of pain but if I'm having a good day the next day now I'm focusing on catching up on all the things that I wanted to do the things I needed to do and you know just enjoying that pain-free day or less pain day and you know it, it's very difficult when we go into these doctors for them to get a full picture of us you know, if we're, we're only discussing, you know, our good day, or our mediocre day. So really, we do have to advocate for ourselves. And we do need to, you know, have all that information so we can can make the decisions that we need to do also. Yeah, my doctor has a sheet that they give you before you go back to see them. And it says, how have you felt over the last week? And it's like, right? Well, wait a minute, the last week, who the hell cares about the last week? I haven't seen you in six months. What about the other, exactly. you know, five months, three three weeks that go along with it? I, you know, I, I felt like heck two months ago, and now I feel this way. And so I really, that's where I think that app was so important to allow yeah. you to generate a report to say, here's how I, I, you know, I don't really care about how I felt over the last week. Here's how I felt over the last six months since I've seen you, or three months, or a year, or whatever it's been. Exactly, because those are the, you know, you would never just do it, you know, if you're studying something, you wouldn't just do a study of one day of one person. No, you want the whole picture. You want, you know, a, a three, six, a year worth of data to really make a proper assessment. It's the same with our, our doctor's visits. You don't want to go in and say, oh, I'm feeling good today. Perfect. There's nothing wrong with you. We'll see you in six months. Because the next day you could have this flare of your life. And it's not accurate to, to say how you're feeling today or this week or even in one month. You do need to see how it ebbs and flows over, you know, your life because it affects it. Sure. Got me thinking here again, because this is not something I can relate to. You mentioned flares. Did you notice that there was any time that you were you getting flares? Because I, I thought I saw where I read online where women were talking about flares coinciding with their with their cycles. Did you ever notice that or did it get better or worse or have no bearing whatsoever? So for me, it's a little bit difficult because up until my hysterectomy, I was on a continuous birth control. So 
technically my ovulation was suppressed. So I wasn't have, having a fluctuation of hormones. And then I remained on that for about a month or two after my hysterectomy. So right now, it, it's difficult for me without having a period to really track where I'm at in my cycle. That's something that the natural path is helping me with. Interesting. So there's definitely been times where I, I think definitely when I'm a you know, not quite what a period should be, but coming up to that point, things hurt everywhere. You know, things are not feeling right. But it's hard to pinpoint if it's CAS or if it's PMS or, you know, just those fluctuations. But I, I definitely think if I was to, you know, really track and pay attention, I definitely think that the hormones have a big impact because I know specifically before I was on the birth control, you know, I would get every 24th day of my cycle, I would get this, you know, rash all over my eye and all over my face. And then it would clear up within, you know, a few days and it would happen every month. So I definitely think that that was some type of autoimmune thing. And I, I really think that AF probably played a part into the pain as well. Wow, that's really interesting. I'll tell you what, Jess, this has been so informative and I'm, I'm not even sure that we've even scratched the tip of what we could talk about because it's so it, there's there's so many layers in depth that I'm sure a, a woman could ask you questions that I'm just I'm missing I'm not knowing what to ask and so <laughs> I really appreciate the time that that you've put into this now if anybody ever wanted to reach out to you are, are you on Instagram or are you on are you on Facebook Yes, uh, I'm on both. I do have a private Facebook page. It's just my name, Jess Hoyson. Uh, and I'm on Instagram as well, where it's, it's an open um, account. And I, I do really dig into some deeper stuff on there. Not always. I'm not a dedicated, you know, blogger or anything like that. But I definitely like to speak openly about, you know, my, my hysterectomy, my pregnancy, things like that. Because I think it's really important. I, I know me going through all of these things, I have had a difficult time finding someone to be so open and honest, um, especially someone who's younger. I really appreciate all the work that you put in. But I mean, we're at two different stages of life and it's, it's difficult to relate. And sometimes you find the most connection when you can see yourself in someone else. So I'm trying to be that for anyone who needs it. It's, it's difficult to have any chronic illness as a young person, um, let alone a young mom. And I, I just, I want to help in any way that I can. Well, fantastic. Well, I actually just found you on Instagram, at a John. Perfect. So I will have a link to that in the show notes for anybody that wants to, to touch base with you on Instagram as well. And there's a very awesome. active ankylosing spondylitis slash spoonie slash chronic pain slash whatever a group of folks on Instagram. So that's really a, a great spot. You've had the the lower lumbar area done for your MRIs. We're looking at hopefully once this whole pandemic thing clears up, the ability for you to get in there and get more testing done. So I wish you luck on that. Thank you very much. I'm very claustrophobic, something that kind of started in the last couple of years. I've noticed it mainly if I'm sitting in the backseat of a car. So I'm very nervous for a full spine MRI. So I, I appreciate the luck. <laughs> oh, yeah. Have them do an open MRI on you. I had that done. Okay, that's what I need to do because, yeah, it just freaks me out. You may have to travel a little ways. You may have to right. go to Toronto to have it done or Ottawa because even here in the States, open MRI machines aren't aren't just everywhere. Right. After my last hip replacement, I can't lay my left leg down straight. 
And so I couldn't right. fit in an MRI machine right. because the leg wouldn't go flat. So they had to reschedule and send me to an open MRI. And I'll tell you what, that's that's night and day. Okay, that's really good to know because when I did my uh, just my lower spine, I was able to have my head out just enough that if I you know looked kind of back, I could see the ceiling. I, I was sort of out of it, and, and that was even cutting it. But it was it was better than being completely in it. And I I just I can feel the panic already. <laughs> These open MRIs are no big deal at all. So I I think you find yourself one of those. Like I said, you're probably gonna have to go to Ottawa or even Toronto. But trust me, for that it's worth the drive. Okay. See, Bonnie sharing sharing their lived and learned advice. I love it. Much. That that's probably one of the best things I can share with you. Well, Jess, this has been awesome. I really appreciate you sharing your experiences from the pregnancies to the hysterectomy. Those are that's a lot of you know that in of itself by age 30s, major on the body. But when you stack it on top of an ankylosing spondylitis, that's a lot. It really, really is. And, you know, there's days that I feel that it's a lot physically and mentally. And, you know, there's days that I I forget that I have these things and I don't remember until I, you know, it's five o'clock in the evening and I'm laying on my hot pack with, you know, painkillers. But in in all of it, I do it for my kids and I keep pushing for my kids. And, you know, I I think that's it it both. It's a double edged sword, right? Like you you have all this pain, so it's hard to be with your kids, but you push through the pain to show them the lessons. in it. And I think that's really beautiful. And and again, thank you so much, Jason, for, for this opportunity and for sharing you know, all of your pain and experiences so other people can maybe avoid it. Well, that's what I, I hope is that if you take nothing away, being diagnosed with ankylosing spondylitis is never great, but there's never a better time than now to be diagnosed with the options available compared to what many of us went through that were diagnosed in the 60s, 70s, and 80s when there was no option, but here's a couple aspirin, good luck. Exactly. And, and that was a question I had for my rheumatologist yesterday. I said, you know, what do I, what should I be planning for or looking for for the next 10, 15 years for my body? And, you know, she said to me, every day we're just creating more and better medications. So we have really great stuff right now, like Cosentex, but, you know, maybe 10, 15 years, they'll have a cure. Who knows? So that's, that's a really... I'm trying to focus on that, that, you know, maybe one day there will be a cure or maybe there one day will be a way to live completely pain-free. We're only ever just growing and advancing with technology and medicine. So I think you're right. It's, it's Nobody wants to be diagnosed, but this is the time. If we are, we do have, you know, many treatments available and, and many resources like this podcast available. So that's great. This has been my pleasure to talk with you. I hope folks find this of interest. I hope they reach out and touch base with you because I think it's really important. It's always good to be relating to, but as a 50-year-old man and a 30-year-old woman, we can talk about AS, but it's really good if there's other 25 to 35-year-old women and you guys can all touch base and talk and, and kind of share some of the similar experiences that I do with men that are 50 and 60 years old that have AS, it, it helps to really even bond you that much better. So I hope people reach out to you and find this helpful. And I really, I thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Jason. I really appreciate it. You have a wonderful day and everybody, thank you so much for listening. Okay. Thank you. Bye. Bye.